Welcome to the Anchored by Faith podcast, a Reformed Baptist podcast with the goal to hold to Scripture to be conformed to the image of God. My name is Colton Wright, and this is my co-host, Logan Batisti. And uh, we're here on a wonderful Tuesday in our makeshift studio. And uh, we promised last time that we were going to talk about the daunted Calvinism. We just want to make sure and clear, though, that even though we're Reformed podcast, we still want to be able to work with, we still want to serve with brothers who don't hold to our position. Holding to our position doesn't mean that you're safe. Absolutely. If you're a dogmatic Reformed person and you think that it's the only way to Christ, definitely might want to get yourself double-checked and look back at it. Absolutely. I mean, essentially, the we just hope through this to maybe get get what we believe out there. You know, hopefully we can explain it clearly. Um, we hope art- articulate it very well. So that way everyone knows where we stand and hopefully we can educate some others as well. Yeah. And I think that's the main thing is we're really wanting to see if we can articulate it ourselves and mm-hmm. grow ourselves because people ask us all the time. Well, I guess not all the time, but people have asked us before, like, what do you believe in and why do you believe in it? And I don't think that Christians nowadays study their Bible enough to say, hey, this is what I believe or to have a reason for the faith that they hold. And I think that's something that we really miss. And I know that we were looking through this on our group page today is like, what is Christianity missing? Or um, there's a post from Twitter on the Baptist Review that said the Christian church nowadays, the Protestant church nowadays, is in the same trouble that the Catholic church was a few years ago. And it's like, I disagree with that statement, but problem that there is struggles with the Protestant church. There are definitely some big issues that we need resolved. Absolutely. We hope through this that we can be, show you not only where we come from, but we can maybe illuminate on some of those other gray areas that really some people just aren't exposed to. And I think to avoid those pitfalls, it really is best to be equipped. You don't have to agree, but at least understand. You know, if you're going to disagree with something, I really think that you should know it and understand it and then judge it on that merit. Right. Absolutely. That's a big issue is that we disagree out of without trying to understand sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't try to follow it to its conclusions. Yeah. And sometimes when we do that, you know, I mean, it can come back to bite us. And so I think it's important for us as Christians more than ever. It's always important for Christians to, to study, but more than ever in the times that we're in, we need to be unified as a body. We need to be together as a body, and it's best to know each other's positions and articulate them well. Right. And so what we want to make sure is that we're going to this is that whether God chooses you or you choose God throughout this election, we both believe in that Christ died for our sins, that we can't get to God without Christ dying for us. Amen. And that through him and through faith alone, is salvation. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss. Somebody, some people want to say that this is a primary issue and talking about how God elects us to salvation. And it's like, no, it's not a primary issue. It's whether God chooses you or you choose God. Mm-hmm. Either way, you're still saved because you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins. Absolutely. It's that end result, you know. Mm-hmm. 
disagree over whether you partook of your salvation or whether you didn't, but the end result is the salvation of all those whom God calls. Mm -hmm. Every one of them that God calls will come to him, and he will perfectly save all those people. Right, absolutely. And God will call his elect and draw them to him. Mm-hmm. Even Jesus says that his sheep will know his voice. Mm-hmm. So, before we really get too far into this, <laughs> go ahead and let's just kind of give an introduction of where the five points came from, and maybe not just that, but look into a confession. It's called the 1689 London Baptist Confession, and see what it says on total depravity, or mm-hmm. as some people want to call it, radical corruption. RC. RC Cola. <laughs> Uh, so this tulip, I mean, where does it come from? If any of you have studied, you might know this, but any of you that are unfamiliar, a lot of times the five points of Calvinism or tulip, the T-U-L-I-P, are portrayed as perhaps a system that was developed by John Calvin. That's, that's not true. So the five points of Calvinism that we call today this it's really acronistic really to call them the five points of calvinism then that's not what they were they were actually they came out of what was called the synod of dort now the synod of dort was a response to a group of individuals during the reformation and this group of individuals was called the remonstrants uh, these were individuals that essentially were trying to reform the reformed so when you had the split in the church, you had Martin Luther, you had Zwingli, you had John Calvin, you had all these people break, not really break off, but they were promoting this idea that it's salvation through faith alone, by Christ alone, and that Martin Luther's first book, maybe not first book, but his, I'm not sure if it was his first book, but his most prominent book, The Bondage of the Will, which had to do with the fact that man is bound by his nature. And so the remonstrants were a response to that style of teaching, and they came out with five points of contention. Now, they gathered uh, many local churches and, and pastors got together in Dort to review these five points of contention, where we now the result of that is now what we see as the, the canons of Dort, or you can boil it down to the five points of Calvinism, or TULIP. So TULIP is really a response. Every time you see one of those, it was a response. When we go walk through this, remember that the T-U-L-I-P is a response to a doctrine that was being promoted. So this is not something that someone just developed out of thin air. And as we walk through today, and I'm sure we will consult it from time to time, this Second London Baptist Confession, 1689, it really portrays this mindset and goes through a lot of, I mean, you can see the scriptural support and how well thought out the system of belief is. Yeah, I mean, the Second London Baptist Confession was kind of like a response from Baptist in London at the time to kind of say to other Protestants, yes, we believe in some of the same things that you believe. I mean, if you read it in the Westminster right next to each other, I find a lot of similar points. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that Baptists don't believe in baptizing children. And maybe a few other things. I'm not entirely sure. I haven't read either one completely all the way through. I've read most of this one. <laughs> it's on my reading list. 
right? The ever-growing reading ever list. Ever-growing reading list. So, what is this second London Baptist Convention? What does it have to say about total depravity? Well, here in chapter 6, which is entitled, Of the Fall of Man, of Sin, and the Punishment Thereof, says, I'm going to read the first little section here. Although God created man upright and perfect, and gave him a righteous law which had been unto life had he kept it, and threatened death upon breach thereof, yet he did not long abide in this honor. Satan, using the subtility of the serpent to seduce Eve, then by her seducing Adam, who without any compulsion did willfully transgress the law of their creation, and the command given unto them in eating the forbidden fruit, which God was so pleased, according to his wise and holy counsel, to permit, having purposed it to the order to his own glory. Our first parents fell by this sin, from their original righteousness in communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all, and all becoming dead in sin, and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of the soul and body. So that kind of summarizes a little bit of that as far as on the bondage on the fallenness of man. But that was not the only thing it had to say. It had a few other things to say. Logan? Yeah, so in chapter 9, section 3, it says, Man by his fall into a state of sin hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. And I think that those readings really sum up kind of total depravity. At least give us a good jump of where to start, because these are written by men who have absolutely studied Scripture Mm -hmm. and tried to vocalize it, tried to clarify it, so that it could be clear and concise. But obviously, we don't hold to tradition as being the reason why we should believe something, right? Absolutely. We believe that we should study Scripture through it. Now, if you get back into the London Baptist Confession, they'll obviously give you scripture of where they got this idea from. So, of course, we're going to give you some right now and go through some texts that say, hey, this is where we see this. This is how we interpret scripture. This is where we get see this idea of total depravity in it. And a couple that we really like to start with, because it clearly kind of pronounces it, is we start off in Romans chapter 3. And you go through verses 10 through 18. It says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. In the path of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's some deep stuff. It's a hard one to swallow, really. I don't really know what to say. I don't understand how people can't see this. When I joke a lot and I'll say when Paul says there is no one, not even one, who does that include? Includes everyone. When he says there is none righteous, not even one, there is none who understands. I mean, he's, and you got to remember in the context of what Paul has just done here is chapters one through two, where he's just 
really condemned all of humanity. And then you get to chapter 3, uh, where he, it's the explanation of that condemnation, I guess you could say. And he gets he gets into it, you know, if you read chapter 1 and you don't think you're condemned, you read chapter 2 and you don't think you're condemned, well, don't worry, chapter 3 is going to come. <laughs> right, I mean, it's kind of like the third strike you're out yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Puts in my mind. But I mean, it clearly states, I want to make sure that people understand is that if you look at Romans 3, 10 through 18, it's not like Paul's writing this of his own words. Mm -hmm. He's going back and taking what people have said in the Psalms. I think some of it's from Isaiah as well. And he's taking from the context of their passages and saying how it applies here Mm -hmm. and exegeting into his own argument. So you get here an apostolic interpretation of the condition of man. You know, essentially, you're getting Paul taking scripture, expounding it, and giving it back to us. And, you know, that's like, it's like triple whammy. You know, he's using God's word, he's interpreting God's word, and it's still God's word. I mean, right. <laughs> but I, I think that's one of the things I like about the Bible is that you get to see it in one part of scripture, and you get to see somebody else take and give you an interpretation of how that was read in scripture itself. Yeah, I mean, you can you can really see, I mean, I love the way that Paul works through this text, because mm. it's, I mean, talking about depravity, I mean, we tend to think depravity is, um, maybe, maybe you've heard it as, yeah, we all know that we're, you know, we're sinners. Well, it it is that you're a sinner, but that's not just it. You know, you're not, sin has consequences, and the consequences aren't just they're not just you know vertical they're also horizontal it has to do with your relationship with others you yourself sin corrupts and so he as he goes through you know after there's no one who understands there's no one who seeks for god all have turned aside there's no one who does good but it's not just that their throat is an open grave with their tongues they keep deceiving you know it shows how that corruption that god forsaking actions cause i mean it it corrupts the individual right and it's the whole entire being it's not something that is just on top it's not based on our actions i mean it's something that augustine started with and we call it original sin Mm -hmm. it's that we inherit our sin nature and guilt through adam's sin that first bite of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Mm -hmm. I mean, the sin of that has progressed down. It's not something that starts by our own doing. It's something we inherit. Yeah. I mean, Paul will make the argument later on in the book in, in chapter chapter 6, where he, chapter 5 and 6, where he puts the contrast between Adam and, and Christ. And you have, you know, you have, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. But if you're in Adam, you have transgression of Adam. Mm-hmm. The fallness of Adam, the death of Adam, it's what you deserve. And Paul goes on to say about that, I mean, run around the same lines of of that in Romans chapter 8, verses 7, verse 7. I'll do verse 6 through 7. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. 
and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Sorry, I skipped to 8 2. I mean, it's definitely what you should have done. It finishes <laughs> the thought out for sure. So, I mean, you have here that that it's that corruption again reiterated that it goes to the mind, the mindset. I mean, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you look back, I mean, this isn't something that's new. I mean, if you look at First John 3, 5, he talks about how if you hate a brother, let's just go just because okay. it's going to be easier. So I'd rather not try to summarize it. John, first John three five, quick, uh, quick quiz. Who wrote First John? The Apostle John. I guess I should set it closer to the mic. <laughs> but yeah, First John three five. Hmm. All right. So my bad. It's First John three fifteen. So everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Or if you look towards the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five twenty seven through 28, you see that Jesus is saying that if you look on a woman with lust, you're already committing adultery in her heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about that. Our thoughts cause sin just as much as our physical actions. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be something that's a physical manifestation. It's definitely our mind as well. Yeah. And if we really don't love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're really, if we fail in one of those areas, it's sin. Mm-hmm. Once you, I mean, you've broken one, you've broken them all. Right. And that's and from it, James. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, bringing up the Sermon on the Mount, that's a great example of, I mean, when, when Christ takes the law that was external and he applies it so internal and you see that the law being applied internally, that it goes to the very, I mean, your very thoughts, your very self. It's not just this external thing. It shows the corruption. I mean, Christ is showing us how depraved you really are. I mean, in a sense. Even the Old Testament law does as well. Mm-hmm. He, God even had to give laws that said, if you unintentionally sin, what are you supposed to do in this situation? It's not something he passed by. It's still mm-hmm. something he prescribed to do instead because a matter of holiness was important. Mm-hmm. It was it was vital. Mm-hmm. And so this is not I mean, you can read the whole the whole book of Romans that just really is Paul's I mean, just wonderful theology on an explanation. I mean, you can think of it the gospel according to Paul almost. I and mean, this is what Paul thought of man's condition and the salvation brought in Jesus Christ. And so that's not the only place this is found. I mean, this isn't just something uniquely found in the book of Romans, even though Romans is, let's say, the 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 big point, you know? Right. That's one where most reformers will go to and say, hey, this is where this is clearly laid out. Yeah. But I mean, I know this is another writing of Paul, but you see it in Ephesians 2 as well, in verses 1 and 2. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working and the sons of disobedience. And so, I mean, you have that, again, just explained. I mean, another writing of Paul, but still. We were dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, not half dead as like Prince and Princess Bride, kind of <laughs> half dead. dead. Or, yeah. 
True love isn't keeping us awake or the willingness to stay out of sin. No, we're dead in sin. We're enslaved to sin. Mm -hmm. Christ said, you know, you can't serve two masters. You're serving one master, and what is it? It's sin. You you are sin. It's not just that we sin. We are sinners. We are completely encapsulated in sin. Yeah, sin doesn't make us sinners. We sin because we are sinners. Mm -hmm. It's an outflowing of our nature. It's just what we do. I mean, you don't have to tell a baby not to take the toy away from somebody. They do it, or you don't have to tell the baby to take a toy from somebody. They, they do it naturally. You have to tell them not. Yeah, my daughter definitely hits me out of anger quite a bit, and I didn't yeah. teach her to do that. At least I hope I didn't, yeah. but I mean, she definitely wants her own way. She'll throw a fit. I didn't have to teach her to be selfish. Yeah, it just comes naturally. And it, I think... When you, when you think of even babies, as beautiful and, and wonderful as they are, we both have kids, it still is, I mean, it's an eye-opening experience when you realize that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just crazy to see that they don't understand the evil that they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't, they don't have a comprehension of it. But we can see because we've been through that. We understand what our nature was mm-hmm. because it's where we once formerly walked as what you'll see as it continues on in the book of Ephesians is that we were once part of those sons of disobedience. We too walk with the prince of the power of the air like they did. It's a, uh, so this, this radical, how did RC put it again? Um, radical corruption, radical corruption, I almost said radical depravity, but <laughs> radical corruption. Um, again, in, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Apostle Paul states again, uh, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So, again, a natural man does not, can't comprehend the things of God. They're foolishness to him. I mean, you think of, I mean, I can speak for myself, I, I can't really speak for anyone else, but prior to salvation, knowing someone telling me something in a Bible study or something simple as, you know, God loves you or anything like that. I thought, it's just, you're just silly, whatever. I mean, I, I truly thought that. <laughs> I mean, you, you see a sermon on, on TV and you think, man, that guy's just, <laughs> I mean, you might still think that, but you thought this, this guy's just a quack. And it wasn't because of what he was saying is because anything spiritually that came to me, I just rejected it. I didn't want it. I didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, and I mean, that doesn't mean that we don't want to witness. It doesn't mean anything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, continue to witness, continue to pursue because God uses those tools. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you look in 1 Corinthians, where that comes from, it goes on to talk about the division between inside the church that's going on at the time. And it's part of their sin that they still have in their life. Mm -hmm. But they were continuing on a discontinuity and losing their focus of where salvation comes from, of how they found God. And where you see Paul talks about saying, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who caused the growth. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what we really kind of want to issue is that, yes, it's witnessing is important, sermons are important, church is important, but if a man does not have God cause growth in his heart, or regeneration, he's not going to understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Scripture clearly teaches, as we can see from the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And Paul 
says it more than once. Mm-hmm. This depravity, even though the man is totally corrupt, it doesn't mean that we, like you said, we're not meant to do this. I mean, for one, I um, mean, I got three reasons why why we should should evangelize. You know, one, because Christ commanded us to, two, because Christ commanded us to, and three, because Christ commanded us to, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're told to be obedient to God's yeah. love, and I mean, if we really love God, then we are to obey his commands. Yeah. And he, before he ascended in Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are called to make disciples. We are called to witness. And if you are not doing that, you should be. Right. I mean, it's God is the one, as you said, God gives the increase. God is the one working, but he's used us as the means. God has orchestrated things in the way that he has so that we, through his grace, can actually be partakers of this wonderful, his wonderful plan of salvation, that we can actually be the hands and feet that carry the gospel. I mean, you ever thought about that? We, you, you take the gospel to a place, nothing on you, nothing in you, and it's no weight on you. It's all of God. You take this gospel to another place, and it's you can watch God use sinful men, sinful women, to bring sinful people to himself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that should definitely be a weight lifted off anybody, mm-hmm. including preachers, including missionaries. Just to think that it's not hung up about whether you made this argument super persuasive. It's not about if you said the right things. Mm-hmm. But that God, as long as you faithfully preach to his word, and mm-hmm. faithfully do what God has instructed you to do and faithfully teach scripture, then it is all up to God to use that to teach them. And even then, when we're not completely faithful, God still works through those. Mm. And that's what I'm so thankful about is mm. because I know that when I preach, I definitely mess up. I'm sure through this podcast, when we say stuff, we'll definitely mess up. And I just I, pray that God faithfully uses I don't know what this. you're talking about. Oh, yeah, because you're absolutely perfect. <laughs> It gets just back to this point of where God is so gracious, God is so merciful that he still works through this, even in our failings and our shortcomings. Amen. I mean, we serve a wonderful God that through our depravity, you know, he redeems us. It's just a beautiful thing. I mean, it really is. I can't add anything more to that. This isn't something that's just found in the New Testament as well. I think we should definitely point out in the Old Testament of where... Mm -hmm. We kind of see these things. I mean, obviously, you have Romans 3 goes back and takes some from the Psalms, and we don't really want to have to reiterate that. I mean, it's right there for you. And, and if, if you don't mind, I'd like to add that, you know, brothers and sisters, if you are listening, you're reading along, I mean, please have your Bibles open if you, if you can. I mean, let's I mean, go to these scriptures, read them, study them, understand them. I mean, we're not saying these things to say them. We hope to encourage you to study. Right, and that's the whole point is like, this is to help you study. This is to help us study. I mean, the only way that we're going to become closer to Christ is through the means of studying scripture and biblical intake. Mm-hmm. But let's look at Psalms 51.5, where it says, David, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I mean, from day one. From day one there, you have, you have David just explaining that he was that this sin was inherent 
You know, we don't have to, I mean, as we were talking earlier, we, we don't have to teach our children to sin. It kind of, it comes naturally. Let's just kind of want to actually look back at the context before it, it says Psalm 51, one, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you against you. You only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. So you have you have David, which I believe this is after his sin with Bathsheba, mm-hmm. and he's pleading with God, and he understands his own sin, his own depths of his heart, that there's nothing good within him. It's all of God. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. I think we all should. I think we all should pray that, really. I mean, every single one of us should have that heart as, of David. I mean, we might not sin in the same way as David, but we should have the same heart as David, that when he's confronted with the egregious sin that he's committed, what does he do? I mean, he hits his knees and he prays to God and he petitions to God to spare him and he acknowledges his own sin, not just the sins that he's committed then, mm-hmm. but really through his entire life, he understands that he was born in iniquity. The sin has forever been on him. It's not just this one incident. It's his entire life. And this, you know, he pleads for God's mercy. He pleads for God not taking away his spirit, God, you know, not casting him from his presence, that he may just be closer to God, essentially. Or be in the same standing with God. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. But the question really becomes, I mean, we've said this point before, is that we really can't do nothing to come back to God. And I think that's something that every Christian is going to agree about, is there is no works that we can commit that's going to bring us to God, that's going to save us before God, that's going to even look like righteousness before God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Scripture clearly teaches. And I mean... Some people are going to point to James and say that I'll justify my faith by works or something along those mm-hmm. lines. Works are just an outgoing of the faith that God has worked inside of us. Yeah. We want to make sure that you all know that works will not save you. Work Doing something good is not going to get you there. Yeah. In fact, I mean, it even proves the point that, yes, there are things that we can do that are good in the eyes of the world. And might be like a civil virtue or look like they're good. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that they are before God's eyes. Because Mm -hmm. as we said, our thoughts definitely don't always proclaim God. And we don't do good out of a selfless heart. Mm -hmm. You know, this this corruption, this radical corruption has gone to our very core to affect our emotions. I mean, why won't work save us? Well, because any work made in the flesh... It's really an outworking of pride. It's, it's some step to, I mean, you think of every religion in the world, and I've said this time and time again, but there's there's only two religions in the world, the one that's, one that, uh, what must you do to be saved and the one that's been done, what's been done for you. And every religion teaches that you have to do X, Y, Z. And Christianity is the only religion that says you can't do anything. There's nothing you can do of yourself. It's all of God. 
It's all of God's mercy. It's all of God's grace and nothing of you. And the point is, why can't it be part of me? Well, it can't be part of you because your whole body, and we're not talking just, you know, the speck on you of sin. You're corrupt. Your mind is set on the flesh. You, you, you do nothing that's pleasing to God. I mean, Isaiah 64, 6, For all of us have become like one who is unclean. For all our unrighteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us, whether wither like a leaf, and all of our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. We, every, it's our being and our actions are set in this sin. We understand that Isaiah 64 is talking to Israel and how and what they have done through their captivity Mm -hmm. and how they've come to this point. But I mean, it teaches a greater truth Mm -hmm. as well about sin. There's absolutely nothing that does. Because for the wages of sin is death, as what is said in Romans. Mm -hmm. If we really listen to this whole podcast, it doesn't seem like it's very hard for us to be in sin. And we do it all the time, whether we think about it intuitively or it's just unintentionally. And so this this sin that we're in leaves us in a very strange place. We are completely depraved. We're completely dead in our sins. I mean, some of the, maybe someone from a different perspective might say, you know, I, I get that we're, we're dead in our sins, but um, we still have to choose God. You know, it's still up to us. We, we have to choose God. And, you know, a response to that is Romans chapter 3. If we have to choose God, we're in a really bad place. Because Romans chapter 3 says no one seeks for God. No, not one. You know, if everyone's turned aside, well, that leaves us in a really bad place. Because if we're supposed to seek for God, Scripture says we can't seek for God. So... I mean, it leaves us in this no man's land. We can't get to God. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with that. And I mean, I understand that there's people who are listening to say like, but there's times where God asks for people to seek for him constantly. Mm-hmm. And yet, if we, he knows that we can't do this, why does he say this? I mean, it doesn't make sense that a God who knows that people want to follow their own desires, it doesn't make sense for him to say this. Uh, do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I get what you're trying to say. It's essentially, you know, if if we're so depraved, if we're so like dead in our sins that we can't respond to any command, then how in the world? I mean, why does God even say anything? You know, why doesn't why does He say you know repent? Why does why do we say repent? Better yet, because we know they can't. Well, for one, because God controls the ends and the means. God controls the means by which we are saved, and those means are that we are to proclaim the gospel, and that is the power of God to salvation. And to those that are completely dead in their sins, it, it's the power of God. That's the only way. I mean, how did Lazarus come back from the dead? By the command of Christ. Nothing else. And so why do we, why do, we do that? Well, we don't do it. We should be standing on God's word and doing it. We should be letting God do it. That's the importance of using scripture. It's because God has literally told us what we should do. And, you know, we're not, I think we fall into grave error 
when we don't obey what he's told us to do. I think, quite honestly, we end up in seeker-friendly churches. We have rock band pastors, you know, we have big giant drum solos. Why? Because you don't understand the depravity. You understand that people aren't coming here to see God. They're coming here to see a good concert. If you don't understand that it's not these exterior things that bring people to Christ, but it's actually just Christ. And to those people whom God is working, that's a sweet smell. It's a wonderful smell. Because I guarantee you, I hope, but if we did a a poll and we said, what brought you to Christ? I bet most of you would be, maybe it was scripture, maybe it wasn't. Um, Maybe it was something that someone said that was doing that legwork. Um, It's always those means that God uses. I I mean, God could use extraordinary means. Um, I mean, he absolutely does use extraordinary means. I mean, he, yeah. I mean, he could, somebody, you know, that someone could be saved by hearing Joe Osteen. I mean, it's, it's possible. It's possible. Okay. It's possible. (laughs) I don't think so, but I I could understand God could. Definitely use different thoughts. Yeah. I mean, God can use any way he wants to to save somebody. Yeah. God can draw a straight blow with a very, very, very crooked stick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. I'm trying to wrap that one in my head. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. You might have overstretched on that one. <laughs> but God definitely has a way of drawing people. Like we said earlier, God is the one who causes growth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know some people might get stuck on this, but I mean, it's really hard to get past this. Mm-hmm. It is. Because it's foolishness to those who don't see it. And so when scripture belabors the point of the natural man, okay, to be honest, so we read about of free will. So our concept of free will should be bound by scriptures. And if scripture is very clear on our will that we don't seek for God, that our mind is set on the flesh, that no one does good, that the natural man can do nothing that pleases God, then how is our will? Well, it's bound. Our will is bound by our nature, our nature in Adam, our nature in sin. And so how does that all tie together how does that all come together well it comes together i mean through the rest as we proceed through this you know we'll see how the u the l the i the p all come together right because total depravity is the absolute foundation Mm -hmm. of calvinism Mm -hmm. of the five points of tulip because you can't have the others if total depravity isn't true yeah and so we want you to understand is what we're not saying We're not saying that man is sick. We're not saying that man is ill. And we're also not saying that man is blindly deterred into this position. Yeah. That man is willingly, voluntarily doing the nature that is inside of him. Mm -hmm. It's not like God has said that you're made this, I guess I should phrase the way, but that man is doing what man wants to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That his creaturely will wants to sin and that creaturely will loves to sin mm-hmm. i've heard i think jeff durbin put it really well one time i was listening to some of his teaching and 
He said, you take a lion and you put him in a room and you put a pile of carrots on one side and you put steak on the other and you lock the door. If you open the door, which pile is going to be gone? It's going to be the pile of meat. Why? Because it's the lion's nature. It's what it does. Did you coerce the lion to eat the meat? No, it did it because it wanted to. But you gave it carrots. Why didn't it eat carrots? Because it doesn't like carrots. It likes meat. That's us. We, in our natural state, we don't want Christ. We want sin. We want, I mean, we really want to be left in our own depravity. I mean, misery loves company. Yeah, and I mean, you can definitely see it throughout the Old Testament that this is played out over and over again. Even with the incredible acts that God does in front of him, it's not enough to just see the acts of God, but God has to do something inside of us. Think of what the Israelites got to see. Think of what the judges got to see. I mean, think of all these things that God did throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, and yet people still don't believe him based on what they see. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this, we're not saying people are as bad as they can be. We're not saying people are as evil as they, you know, possibly could be. You know, man is just out there, you know, murdering people left and right. Why is that? Well, well, for one, I mean, Hitler, as bad as he was, could have been worse. Joseph Stalin, as bad as he was, could have actually been worse. So what's how does that stop? How does this total depravity not affect to the radical conclusion that is just endless sin? Or utter depravity. Or utter depravity. Right. There you go. It, it, to, to where we're just, we're in this, this heap of mess um, of just, the you know, Sodom and Gomorrah times 100. Well, it's God's grace. When God restrains this depravity to an extent. I mean, think Romans. Uh, God has revealed to everyone his law. And what happens? They suppress that law, and it, re it results in, well, all sorts of abominations. But God has revealed himself. God reveals himself. God restrains evil. I mean, God restrained Pharaoh. God restrained um, Abimelech from sinning against him. So God restrains evil sometimes. Other times he does not. I mean, Judas. Judas wanted to betray Christ, but he didn't until the time was right. And so when we look at it, I mean, there's different types of, of this restraining. I mean, it's something we call, you know, common grace. There's this common grace that's universal to all, um, where you can see through this depravity. I mean, I want to try to separate is we have total depravity, the teaching that man can do nothing spiritually good to, to God. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, you point to something and say this over here, uh, this wonderful advancement in medical technology, you know, the polio vaccine or something. Oh, you know, this wonderful thing over here. Oh, you see, that's an argument against total depravity. Well, no, because of common grace. God is in this world. God grants grace. We're all made in the image of God. And so sometimes we see that image of God come out, that suppression quit, the hand of God come through. That doesn't mean that our spiritual state is better. It doesn't mean that we're somehow, you know, out of this spiritual darkness. I mean, you think of the Gospel of John. What is the big contrast? Or in, in the epistles, darkness, light. light, yeah, darkness, light. Yeah, I know we're going to try to wrap things up here. I mean, we've been going on for almost 50 minutes now. So 
let's take these last few minutes to kind of see if there's any other objections. This is one that most people will agree with, absolutely, that men is completely depraved in sin. The part that's really hard to swallow is the fact that are we able to seek God or not? And I think that's mm-hmm. an issue that we really come into yeah. is Scripture, as we've pointed out, kind of points towards the fact that we don't seek for God because we love sin and we're in our flesh. And I think that we clearly pointed that out. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are people who point towards Enoch. They'll point towards Noah and said, these guys pleased God or they were blameless as what the Old Testament puts it. But I think that we've also clearly stated too that even if these men please God, that you can't really explain how they please God or how they knew what pleased God. Hebrews does give a good information of heroes of the faith and that it is through faith that they were justified and the only way that they are justified is through faith. Mm -hmm. But if we look at the Old Testament, we don't really understand how the people before Moses even knew what was holy. They did because obviously Noah knew what animals were clean and unclean, but how did they know, when did they start knowing his sacrifices? Because if you look through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, at what point does God say, you need to offer me sacrifices? It just is shown up in this conflict between Abel and Cain that one was giving better sacrifices than the other. But when did that really figure out this is what we needed to do? You don't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. because there was no preachers. There was no law written out for them. And so you had God working differently. You had God working, you know, revelatory fashion. He was revealing himself to those individuals, you know, explaining these things, telling them what they what he wanted and so on and so forth. In a time that maybe in a different topic, we can talk about that. But, you know, God has revealed himself and he revealed himself in different ways you know, to those people to convey those messages. And um, when we look at those Old Testament individuals like Enoch, and you mentioned it's nothing, you know, it's faith. I encourage anyone that that says that would that would do that argument or make that, that claim, you have to answer the question is where does faith come from? Um, I don't know if you want to get into that now, but... No, know, we don't have time we to don't go have into time that. Now. But the book of Ephesians is clear where faith comes from. We get into that later. But if you're going to make the claim that, you know, these men claimed or pleased God, uh, you have you automatically have to go to the book of Hebrews, like you mentioned, um, where it claims that all these people pleased God through faith, through faith. But where does faith come from? It's another topic that we can get to later. Mm-hmm. Any other objections that you could think of? I mean, I know that we've covered that one. I, I don't know if we've covered this yet, but people believe in original sin, think that that's a wrong topic that. But that's not even fair of Augustine to come up with that and that we don't really completely understand this argument and we're, we can look into it more and cover it in another episode, mm. but that Augustine got it out of Neoplatonism is a couple of things that we've heard that is common saying that mm. original sin isn't even biblical. Yeah. And I would, uh, of course, I haven't studied that much into Augustine and Neoplatonism. i sure that's doesn't sound right, you know, of course. Um, of course, I'm not at the liberty to make a definite statement. But at the same time, notice the statements. I think this podcast could be a reflection of how many times we quoted Augustine. You know, none. 
So we expounded it from scripture. We showed it from scripture. So anytime someone uses an outside source like that, like a lot of times I'm really troubled when someone mentions, well, you just got those idea from John Calvin. Well, I didn't say anything about John Calvin. You know, I, I, I cited you scripture, you know, deal with it on the text, not on someone else's argument. And so is original sin. Did Augustine write about original sin? I'm sure he did. I haven't read enough of them to I read a little bit, not enough to only through school. <laughs> so not enough, but our arguments haven't been based on traditions. They've been based on scripture. And we, we quoted, yes, the London Baptist confession. And we talked about the remonstrance, but still not tradition. Notice we didn't make claims from them. We simply gave you historical matters. And then we made our claims from scripture. So if anyone's going to bring an objection such as original sin, you know, wasn't founded upon this person or this person, well, that's cool. That's not the objection. You know, I didn't appeal to that person. I appealed to scripture. And so if you're going to refute, refute what I said, we should go to scripture and explain why the texts don't mean what I say they mean. Because um, dismissing an argument based on you don't like it doesn't make it true. You know, it doesn't, doesn't prove your point. We have to go back to the text and prove it or disprove it. Right. And obviously, we try as best as we can to remove our bias from looking at Scripture and looking at clearly what Scripture teaches. I mean, there are times where we're going to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I mean, that's the part of Christians that we need to remember is that we're doing this so that we can help sharpen each other so that we can study scripture better and really understand what its meaning is together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole point of what church is, mm-hmm. basically. It's to teach us the word, but also help us to encourage us grow in walks in faith. And I think that's what we're trying to do with this podcast because we want to not get out, not have something that's outside of the church, but this is something that we wanted to do to really encourage people mm-hmm. in church and have something for people to listen to outside of Sundays. Mm-hmm. You know, this is hopefully a moment of reflection. Uh, if you disagree with us, awesome. You know, I encourage you to disagree with us through Scripture. Don't let our personalities get in the way. Don't let the concept of the heavy weight of Calvinism or Reformed theology come bearing down. Go to the text. If you disagree, Go to the text. Study the text. Drive your reasoning from the text. Don't go to other sources. Don't go to somebody that is anti-reformed. Don't go to someone that is reformed. Go to scripture. Or if you do, at least go to both. Or at least go to both. Yeah, I mean, scripture is definitely important, but you can definitely look through the lens of other people and see why they believe what they believe. But ultimate authority is looking back at what scripture really says. And I think it's important that you look at what both sides of the argument present. Like mm-hmm. we both looked at Layden Flowers. I mean, we've both looked at R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. We've looked at John MacArthur. We Jerry, looked at Michael Brown. I listened to about four or five hours of, I think it was Jerry Well, Jerry, Jerry Walls. I don't Can't know. I've been listening to that guy. So, yeah. But I mean, we're not trying to do this out of of saying we've only listened to reform people. We're trying mm-hmm. to make sure that we give the other side credit where it's due. I mean, try to see what they see because 
there are definitely instances where Christians see what other Christians don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, There's, we tend to run in our circles, and I think it's a downfall because I think we both can, as much as I think I'm right, and as much as you think that you're right, you know, obviously we're doing a podcast for a Baptist podcast. We think we're right, <laughs> but at the same time, that doesn't mean that the other side doesn't have a lot to contribute, and we shouldn't listen to them. Um, there's a lot of points that we should listen to. Why? Because, well, if we don't listen to them, we can come complacent in what we believe. And maybe we haven't thought through some arguments. We all have blind spots. So maybe it's others that point out our blind spots. And so iron sharpens iron. And those differing viewpoints, we should really go to them. I mean, we have God's word. We should be looking at that and being looking to be conformed and if we're not looking to be conformed, if you're being complacent in your ways, I think that's a dangerous position. Right. And just kind of on that note, as we, if you guys have any objections, feel free to message us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We'll be there, Anchored by Faith on Facebook, or leave us a review. I mean, we'll be on Podbean hosting site as well. And I want to thank you guys for listening to us today. Sorry for the extra long episode, but I mean, this is an important subject. I mean, it's something that we don't really want to cut short. This is something we really want to study into so that we can hold the scripture to be conformed to the image of God. Amen. Thanks for listening again. This has been Logan Batisti. And this is Colton Wright. Have a great day, guys. God bless.